to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. Your co-host Mike, and with me as always is your other co-host John. John, no, what are you doing today? No major complaints today. Uh, we tried recording this last night and unsuccessful. We tried yes, we multiple times, just so everybody knows this is supposed to be out uh-huh. uh, already today, but... Um, you know, we're having some technical difficulties here, and uh, hopefully this will work this time around. But other than that, man, no major complaints. Uh, just uh, really crossing my fingers, hoping this works this time. Yes, I am hoping it works also. It is possible that this that we will find a new podcasting platform at some point, because we have had this problem multiple times. And uh, also, did you get your, I'm curious, did you get your, your plan? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yesterday was uh, quite an adventure. Uh, my landlord um, was not really around. He's a little bit absent sometimes. Uh, great guy. Yeah. As, as they, they tend to be, uh, you know, on the East Coast, but I'm sure it's everywhere. You know, it's, uh, that seems to be the norm out here. And nice guy, great guy, but, you know, hard to find when you need him. So I had to do the legwork myself to find a plumber and get the kitchen sink, the bathroom toilet, both fixed at the same time uh, because it was a few days without all that. And that was uh, that was interesting. So but, you know, that's the life living in an apartment complex. Uh, But I look forward to finally moving out, hopefully in the next number of months and uh, becoming a homeowner. But, you know, all new headaches. And then you can take on a whole new set of problems. (laughs) (laughs) then it's just on me anyways to get everything done you know but yeah yeah then when you're talking about the landlord you're talking about yourself yeah (laughs) right on all right should we get into it okay well the first thing we are going to talk about is uh the iowa offensive coordinator situation in that iowa and kirk ferentz have hired an offensive coordinator it is tim lester former Western Michigan head coach um, before he was fired after the 2022 season. And he spent the last year in the NFL uh, soaking up some of that knowledge. And now he is going to be the next offensive coordinator of the Iowa Hawkeyes. So John, what do you think about this? High- um, You know, at first I too, like I think with most of the Hawkeye faithful uh, was thinking this was a pretty, pretty terrible hire um, until I did a little more digging uh, and I don't think it's as bad as the meltdown we witnessed on Twitter. Um, I, Boy, there was a meltdown among Iowa fans on Twitter and on the message boards. Yes, People were and I get it. And I probably that would have been my reaction too initially. I, I can't blame them. Uh, but after doing a little bit more digging, looking into some things here, um, you know, it might not be bad. I think there's reasons to be optimistic. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, get my hopes up too high. Uh, but I do think that there's a possibility of bringing Iowa's offense to better to, to at least average, not the work, not at the bottom of the big 10, like they were this last year. I think that there's, there's a, some possibility for him to maybe develop some of the wide receiver talent a little bit further, um, be able to create a little bit more of a passing game. Obviously, if you have a healthy Cade McNamara, that is going to be much easier uh, he does have a track yes. record of developing some Mac level uh, talent wide receivers and bringing a couple of them into the NFL. So it's not like he doesn't know how to work with that, which, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, that Iowa has been pretty much um, recruiting at the Mac level as at the wide receiver position. But 
yeah, like five so, years. You know, you got a guy that knows how to work with that and, and get the best out of him. And so yep. I think there's a lot of potential there. And, you know, it's it's not a total I, I wouldn't I don't think the total meltdown amongst the high, uh, Hawkeye faithful was was necessary. But I get it. Um, I don't think this is going to be a massive upgrade over Brian Ferentz. But I do think that it is an upgrade, just not huge. Yeah, I think it's an upgrade. You know, if you look at Tim Lesser, he's had good years and he's had bad years. It hasn't been consistent um, offensively. And his good years have been really good. You know, ranking pretty well, both in scoring offense and in uh, total offense. So he's a guy who can get it done when he has the right ingredients, you know, Mm -hmm. when he's to cook with. So I think, you know, if you look at next year with Iowa, Cade McNamara back healthy, Luke Lachey back healthy, you bring in Caden Proctor to buff uh, to buffer your offensive line a little bit, and you've, st- you've got some pretty good running backs. So you've got some weapons to build an offense around. I thought one really interesting thing with Lester is the fact that he uses, you know, he inherited Western Michigan from P.J. Fleck, and he kept a lot of the RPO offense that Fleck had been doing. He kept that in the offense. And he took some vertical shots. And I'm interested to see if that is something Iowa will start doing. Because for the longest time, really since off and on, but I'd say more on than off since Greg Davis was the coach. I remember people complaining back then that Iowa's passing game was horizontal. It wasn't vertical enough. And that it was too predictable. And when teams know you're either going to run the ball or throw short passes, the DBs can crowd the box and make life really hard for you. So... Tim Lester can stretch things, I think, a little more vertically if Kirk will let him, right? So it'll be interesting to see how much Kirk gets out of the way and lets Lester do it. Um, Let's talk about the meltdown aspect of this, John, for the Iowa fans. I think the reason why Iowa fans melted down is because they were promised, they were essentially promised two other coordinators first. It looked like Paul Christ had all but taken the job. What was that, like six weeks ago? A while ago now? And they were the Hawkeyes were reportedly all in on Paul Christ, former uh, Wisconsin head coach. And that would have been a really good hire as offensive coordinator. He would have fit in really well. But he mm-hmm. decided he didn't want the job. And then last week, Kirk Ferentz was seen in public uh, with former Duke offensive coordinator Kevin Johns, who was the offensive coordinator under Mike Elko at Duke the last couple of years before Elko went to A&M this year or this offseason. Um, and people thought it was a done deal. They thought it was going to be Kevin Johns. People were excited because Kevin Johns is a little more innovative. It's, it would be a bigger departure schematically from what Iowa's been doing. But sometime between then and now, they Kirk decided against Kevin Johns and he hired Tim Lester. So I'm really curious what went into that and if it was Kirk saying that he didn't. I wonder if Kirk just ultimately isn't willing to change. He's willing to change his offense a little, but maybe ultimately he wasn't willing to change his offense that much. Yeah, I mean... We know by now that Kirk Ferentz is not going to be told what to do or how to do it by anybody. Um, and, you know, he's, nope. he's earned that no, to, to a point. He's earned that. Um, he's been there a long time. Yeah. He's won a lot of games for Iowa. Uh, you know, you, you got to give him some level of uh, control over all of that. But he, at this point, you know, is his stubbornness and unwillingness to change or evolve going to cause further damage to the program? Um, and look, you know, and I know this sounds kind of weird talking about it like this because he just won 10 games without basically without an offense. Yeah. Yeah. 
We shouldn't forget that. They, exactly. Iowa did just so win. This 10 is years. not, you know, there's the, the guy is still doing some amazing stuff there, uh, you know, undoubtedly. But like, is this going to, in the long term, I think is the way we're, we're what we're kind of talking about here, uh, hurt Iowa and the football program? Now, I don't think it's like necessarily going to make them, you know, irrelevant or uh, cause as long as they continue to, you know, um, develop uh, and put out elite defenses, special teams at the, the level they've been able to do here, yep. which Kurt, that has not struggled yeah. at all. So they'll be, no. Yeah. So no, they'll be, be fine there, but you, uh, but I think in the long term, especially with the changing landscape of uh, the big 10 and college football in general and recruiting and all this kind of stuff is Kirk Ferentz going to be willing to, or want to uh, at all um, change with the times, you know, you saw, Nick Saban, even though he clearly wasn't going to be told what to do or how to run his program, he evolved and he changed as best he could yep. with what was going on. And obviously, his, it was, yes, drastically changed, changed his whole offense, changed his whole philosophy, the way yeah. he coached and game. I don't it. know if Kirk is able or willing to do so, at least offensively. I, I don't know. Um, so we're going to have to see. This is a huge hire. Uh, this is really going to affect Kirk's tenure. I think um, we're going to have to see the, about his future. Uh, do I think he's just going to get fired or anything? No, but he might be ushered out of the door a little quicker if this fails miserably. Yeah, that's totally possible. Um, that kind of happened with Gary Patterson when when things fell. You know, he was at TCU forever, but when things went sideways for a couple of years, once he got a little long in the tooth, they pushed him out. I think Kirk has better control over Iowa. I think it would take multiple yep. bad seasons for us to even yep. have that conversation because, again, the yep. guy just won 10 games uh, with Deacon Hill playing quarterback somehow, which is borderline miraculous. Um, Tim Lester, let's talk about this. is an opportunity for him, too. Let's say he crushes it. We talked about what happens if they fail. Mm-hmm. Let's say he crushes it. Tim Lester comes in. It works for Iowa. They um, it rejuvenates the passing game and we get to be more of a balanced offense. And then with the great defense, Iowa wins a ton of games. If that could happen, too. And if that happens, Tim Lester might be the guy when Kirk Ferentz retired. I mean, that's he's because that's the thing that we talked about the downside of this job. The upside of this job, if you're Tim Lester, is if you really crush it. You could be the next head coach yeah, of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, possible. Someday. And we talked about that, too, in the previous podcast of, like, is this in some way, I don't think that, I'm not going to say that this is really what it was with, with Tim Lester, but in some way, is this trying to give a chance of finding out who the next person is going to be? Because, you know, I got to believe Beth Getz is, is taking that into consideration. And you're right. If this somehow works really well and... Iowa continues to win in the new Big Ten, 10, 11 what, games or whatever, you know, like that's that's a massive success. Hey, hell, eight or nine games in the new Big Ten is going to be a huge success. Um, and especially for him. Yep. Nine and three is going to have you in a borderline yep. playoff. And I think if Tim Lester can accomplish that and really rejuvenate Iowa's offense, his resume is going to look amazing. Um, he's going to give Kirk an extra number yep. of years to even to continue to head coach. That's just helping him out. Uh, and who knows, you know, maybe in the future, you know, Tim Lester will, might be, you know, head coach at the university of Iowa. So, yeah, so this could go a lot of ways. I really think this hire could either be a, I think I could see it being a huge success. I could see it being a total failure and I have, I really have no feel for how it's going to be. Um, my instinct would say that I think in year one, it's going to be successful because of Cade McNamara. 
and that's going to be having a healthy Cade McNamara is going to be a big difference uh, compared to what they've been trotting out at quarterback yeah. the last several years. I totally agree. I think that as long as he stays healthy, I think that this offense will look a lot better than it did last year. And, you know, that could win him another game or two. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Should we yeah, talk about Michigan, John? So uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan defensive coordinator Jesse Minter has decided to follow former head coach Jim Harbaugh to the NFL, and he's going to go be the defensive coordinator for the L.A. Chargers. And similarly, head strength coach Ben Herbert uh, is also going to go with Harbaugh to the NFL. So it's kind of interesting, John. I was thinking the way with Sharon Moore. Um, Sharon Moore was hired by Jim Harbaugh, mentored by Jim, Jim Harbaugh, promoted multiple times by Jim Harbaugh. And when Jim Harbaugh went to the NFL, he said, Sharon Moore's the guy. He's the guy who should replace me, which is high praise. There are a lot of other guys on that staff, including Michigan men yep. on that staff. So that's really high praise for Sharon Moore, who's a very young head coach. But now, now Jim Harbaugh's in the pros, and now Jim Harbaugh's stealing Sharon Moore's <laughs> coaches. Just stealing them. Life comes at oh, you yeah. fast. Yeah, I'm not surprised by any of this. Uh, it's very on brand for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but, you know, I, Sharon Moore can't be surprised either. I'm, I'm sure this is to be expected. Um, you know that Jim Harbaugh is willing to do anything anything and whatever it takes to win the big game. Obviously you saw him do that with the national title uh, for Michigan. He was willing to do whatever it took. Um, and then it's got to just stand true for moving on and, and uh, winning the NFL and winning a Super Bowl. It's I'm sure it's something he's always wanted to get back to always wanted to accomplish. And I'm sure he's going to do whatever he possibly can to make that happen. And taking mentor with him is a big part of that. Yeah, and he lost to his own brother in the Super Bowl, which is extra mixed feelings because I'm sure he's happy for his brother, but also like, man, yeah. I almost yeah. won the Super Bowl. So Harbaugh can join a very elite club of coaches who have won national championships and Super Bowls. Off the top of my head, Pete Carroll, uh, Jimmy Johnson, and Barry Switzer, I want to say, right. did it. I'm not sure. Uh, I think he won. I think he won one in college. Um, and then with the Cowboys. So it's a short list. It's a really short list of guys who have been national championship winning college coaches who went on to win a yeah. Super Bowl in the NFL. So if you put yourself, if Jim Harbaugh does that, he goes, he goes, he becomes one of the greatest coaches of all yeah. time at any level. And I, I think he can. I think it's very possible. It takes a special kind of person. And we all know Jim is a special kind of person. <laughs> and I think, yep. you know, that crazy, crazy man could uh, could make it happen. I can see it. And, um, you know, good for him. He's got, the yeah. quarter, he's got a quarterback. Yeah. He's got an elite quarterback. He, and he's a quarterback who's a very J.J. McCarthy-esque and, and he's got the franchise that wants to win. And fast. They want to be there now. And they're, will, they're willing yep. to do whatever it takes. So. Yeah, but uh, sucks for Sharon Moore. I'm sorry, Sharon Moore. You know, it's too bad. You're still going to have to, you know, deal with the just maybe maybe have to work a little bit harder here in the next year or two. But, you know, I, I have to believe, you know, you, you're going to be OK. You're at Michigan. So. Yeah, it's Michigan. 
Um, we're going to find out, though, what kind of connection Sharon Moore has and who he, whom he can get on his staff. And that'll be interesting to see, you know, who's willing to go work for a first time, you know, young head coach like that. Um, so, yeah, that'll be good. Um, I'm excited to follow both, you know, who gets hired at Michigan coming forward and also see how the Iowa OC situation works out. Um, a lot of entertaining stuff. We're early in the off season and it already yeah, got a February lot of February 1st and all kinds of stuff is changing already. And I, and it's, I don't think it's going to be slowing down. It's just, the way it is. no, no, there's no, there's no real off season no. in college football anymore. Cause you know, you get all the coaching carousel stuff like we had, like we've had, and then you get into the national signing day mm-hmm. and then it's spring ball, you know? And once you get past spring ball, yep. then it's almost the season. So, so yeah, but right now it is February 1st. So we will talk about February 1st things, which means reviewing the 2023-24 season. So we're going to start a series uh, today. We're going to go through all 18 Big Ten teams. We're going to do four of them today. We'll get to four or five per episode, I think. And we will review the 2023 season. Um, and and we are really grateful to all our contributors, you know, for pitching in. So we're going to do that. John, is there anything you want to talk about before we get into reviewing uh, yes. the season. Um, as always, just if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike at Alibaba26. You can find me at Norwegian Gopher. You can also email us for any questions um, or comments, anything like that, uh, at We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. And please give us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to us on that helps uh, the podcast reach other listeners. And we really appreciate it. All right. Let's review the 2023-24 season, huh, John? It just just finished, but let's get into it. I'm excited to review this. So first of all, we're going to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers. So the Hoosiers went three and nine overall, one and eight in the Big Ten. And first off, want to thank all of our Indiana expert fan contributors. So the whole crew at the uh, All For You pod, we want to thank, including B-Town Bucket Boy and invest in I- and add invest in IU football. Those guys are great follows on Twitter. And the All For You pod is definitely my favorite pod to get podcast to get up to date on Indiana, on Absolutely. everything Indiana. So, so yeah. So thanks, guys, at the All For You pod. We really appreciate it. And then I also want to th- give a big thanks to Dom the Rev, who is an actual reverend, a man as close to IU football as he is to God, <laughs> truly. So really appreciate all your contributions as well, Dom. So thanks. And also a big thanks. We've got some other IU contributors who are going to be helping in the future. So I want to just say thanks in advance. And we're just really excited to have everybody on board helping us uh, better um, yep. review your team. Thank you, Cool. All right. So we're going to go through. We asked our uh, contributors a series of questions, and then we kind of looked at their research and our own research, and we came up with with uh, that's going to be the format. So we're going to go through the same questions for each of these four teams. And uh, our first question is, which positions groups were good in 2023-24? So uh, the number one answer was wide receiver, which I think was legitimate um especially donovan mccauley when he was you know especially when he when he was the way he developed as the year went on 
But Dequeese Carter in the slot was good. EJ Williams had some moments. And Cam Camper, before he got hurt, you know, all those guys had big games as well. Donovan McCauley, man, he was a quarterback who transferred, transitioned to being a wide receiver just last Mm -hmm. year in 2022. And for him to go from being a quarterback to being this impressive as a receiver, um, he really improved. You know, he went from a guy who relied heavily on his athleticism in 2022 to a guy who got a lot more refined in his route running, and he just had a breakout year. Um, The last five games of the season was basically a mixtape of circus catches and contested Mm -hmm. grabs. I mean, with some, I mean, some of the stuff they're worth hunting down his 11 catch two TD day against Illinois is a great place to watch him put on a contest. I can't remember what game it was exactly. I don't know if it it might've been Wisconsin where he, he came down with a catch and he was getting tackled and somehow his knee didn't go down and he still was able to, it was like Mm -hmm. the balance and control he was able to display in that catch and then run for, for, uh, for extra yardage. It was I don't know, man. I'd, right there is when I was like, this guy's special. And when he hit the transfer portal briefly, everyone was really excited. And I'm sure he got a lot of calls. But Signetti, Signetti was oh, able yeah. to lock him back down. So good for him. It's a big deal to keep Donovan McCulley in the in the fold. He is a guy who has, I mean, he's a, he's a legit number one Big Ten wide receiver. And I think he's going to, as good as he was this year, I think he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be. He, I think he'll be oh, even better next year. Yeah. And then other uh, wide receiver, Omar Cooper was a four-star redshirt freshman, was able to get some serious reps this season due to a lot of injuries in the wide receiver room. And he didn't disappoint. Um, unfortunately, he was stopped short of breaking out as he suffered a season-ending injury the next week against Wisconsin. Um, but he also made a sideline catch against Michigan landing on his head. So his return will be highly anticipated. Um, and yeah, it's just too bad. Indiana had a lot of injuries, including with EJ Williams and Cam Camper. And that's too bad because Camper, Camper, I think, can really play. Like, I'm excited. You look at next year, you got Cam Camper and Donovan McCulley at, at wide receiver. Like, Indiana's oh, going to score some points. Yeah, I think if if they can get, maintain a decent quarterback and they're going to be able to Definitely be able to move down the field. You were able to see it this season, even when they were rotating quarterbacks the whole time, um, or more often than not. You were able to see production, I think, every single game out of their wide receiving core. Yep, absolutely. And then the O-line was improved a lot. I wouldn't say it was a great O-line, but it was certainly a lot better than it's been. And you got to you know, you gotta credit uh, O-line guru coach mm-hmm. Bob Bostad for turning that offensive line around, doing a great job. And you got to credit Kurt Signetti for keeping oh, yeah. Bostad on staff. So he so that they can keep that continuity on the offensive line. I think you'll see Indiana continue to improve up there. And then, you know, Aaron Casey was a good linebacker. So he was a pretty solid player as well. Now let's talk about the uh, um, the units that struggled. Dom the Rev wrote the rest <laughs> of them. <laughs> but especially QB edge rushers Mm -hmm. and cornerbacks. Um, They had a lot of, you know, injuries at corner, which hurt a lot. Jamie Johnson was injured most of the year. Kobe minor and Nick Toomer both missed time. Uh, Jamari sharp stayed healthy, but he was a frosh and he got picked on a bit, you know, and that lack of continuity meant that IU really struggled defending the pass and tackling in the open field. Um, Tight ends, you know, Indiana, 
you know, had Peyton Hendershot for so many years and he was such a good player. And then AJ Barner was supposed to be that next man up. But when, uh, when he didn't get enough looks in the Walt Bell offense, he took his talents to Michigan and had a pretty nice year. So that was a big loss for them. And a common theme of this review is that Walt Bell was a truly terrible offensive coordinator hire, which we called at the time. I remember talking to you at the time Walt Bell was hired. And I said, why is Indiana hiring a guy who's never been successful ever? Why is Tom Allen doing that to his hamstringing his program like that? And it's true that he just, Walt Bell really kind of drove that. I think one of our contributors mentioned that and talked about uh, how it was, it, it may have been just, unfortunately the only person that they were able to get at that time, it was just kind of like, here's, here's who was available. And this is the best of, of the worst, I think, which, which is too bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure Tom Allen did not. I'm sure Tom Walt Bell was not what he was dreaming of in a, in an offensive coordinator. So that was, that was a problem. And then the QB play was up and down all year. Both QBs had a tendency to turn the ball over. Um, Indiana fans expected Taven Jackson to be the starter, but instead Tom Allen had a true in-season QB competition, which you know, I don't know. And he started the season switching QBs in roughly three drive intervals. Um, you know, Jackson won for a while, but he couldn't stop making mm-hmm. mistakes and turning the ball over. And then Soresby eventually took over during the Maryland game. Um, and eventually Soresby kind of took over for good in the latter half of the season. But he also continued turning the ball over. So it kind of, no matter who was quarterback, it wasn't going, it wasn't going I got to say, though, you know, at least for me, as much as I know there was turnovers from both of them, I got the most competent one seemingly um, seemed to be Soresby throughout the season. You know, if you have to pick. (laughs) um, He at least looked, he had more calmness in the pocket. He looked like he, he knew what he was doing in the play calls. Um, you know, yes, he obviously made some very egregious mistakes throughout, but he seemed to have a little, I, I don't know. I, I, I understand why they eventually, Tom Allen eventually put a little bit more faith in him as the season went on. Yeah. I like Soresby more yeah. than Taven Jackson for sure. I, I agree with you. And, uh, Jackson, Jackson's the better athlete, but he's just not, he needs to get a little more polished as a passer for me to trust him a little more. Um, and then position groups that both struggled and succeeded, uh, the safeties were kind of in between. They had their ups and downs. They played well for large portions of the year, but they totally collapsed down the stretch of the year, uh, particularly against Sparty and Purdue. So now we're segueing to which position coaches were successful or unsuccessful. And the number one successful got to say Bob Bostad in the offensive line. We were just talking around him. It takes time to turn around a line. He, uh, managed to create a really big improvement, um, double digits in, in both pass and run blocking on pro football focus. Plus, of course, the eye test. We could see that Indiana was a lot better this year than they've been. So going from Darren Hiller as an O-line coach to a legendary figure like uh, Bob Bostad is just an unreal upgrade. And you saw that on the field. Bostad, of course, was the architect of the the best Wisconsin offensive lines during when they were at the yeah. top of their glory. So he's a, he's a great guy, a uh, great coach. And he knows how to take three star players and turn them into stars. You saw during the season too, like their pass protection getting a lot better. They were starting to open up holes for the running backs. I mean, yes, took most of the year to get the running game going. It took most of the year, but when they got it going, they got looking pretty darn good by the end of the season. Yeah. 
I agree with you. Um, you can argue that every single IUO lineman, um, many of whom had been multi-year starters, had their best seasons under Bostad. So, you know, Indiana is very lucky to have him. Um, successful wide receiver coach, Anthony Tucker. Uh, Donovan McCulley. I mean, his his um, development alone is probably enough to get their wide oh, receiver absolutely. coach on this list. It's In retrospect, it's a little weird IU didn't throw the ball mm-hmm. even more than they did. It seemed like they were you know, butting their heads against the wall, trying to run for a lot of the year, which eventually paid off for them, to be fair. But for a long time, seemed pretty fruitless. Um, safeties coach Matt Guerreri did a nice job, although his defense was pretty up and down as a coordinator, but the safeties themselves played pretty well. And then successful Rod Carey was good when he took over as OC. The offense was much more productive yeah. under his watch, and you saw them yep. get a lot more comfortable. So those are the guys we had for successful coaches. For unsuccessful, cornerbacks coach Brandon Shelby. Man, IU's corners got picked on all year in coverage, and they did not tackle well in space either. So, you know, he had a lot of injuries. So I guess you can you can forgive him a little bit for that. But And then unsuccessful, offensive coordinator, QB coach, Walt Bell. We talked about it. The first five games of the season, the quarterbacks operated within this weird option-based offense that we've alluded to multiple times. Um, Walt Bell called it an RPO scheme, but it was like, you know, it was, it was a lot of read option and speed options were run over and over without a ton of success for five games straight. So they struggled when he was mercifully fired. Rod Carey took over and got to more of a downhill running play action, passing attack, which I thought was a lot better. And, and it just improved a lot. Um, so this is my favorite quote from the guys at the all for you pod quote. We really struggled to say enough bad things about the job Bell did at Indiana. He seems like a nice guy. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, I love that. Yeah, seems like a nice guy, though. He's a real nice Bad guy. He's a sweet, sweet, sweet man. Yeah. Uh, but his offense was a total mess, and he was not effective in utilizing his skill players. And you know what, John? I predicted Bell would be a failure. I know I said it before, but I predicted it when Tom Allen hired him because he was a failure at his past stops as well. And I just bring that up to say in this industry, some guys yep. just fail up. And Walt Bell has been one of those guys. And I'm always shocked when a head, a successful head coach picks one of those guys who's well, been such I mean, a struggle bus. You know, just from speaking from experience as a gopher fan, we dealt with that recently as well. How Mike Sanford Jr. continued to just fail up and, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, now I think I don't know where he's at now, but not that I care. He's not. He's 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 entered the oh, media. He's got a podcast, oh, John. Okay, all right. Should we try to get Mike Sanford Jr. on this podcast just so I can grill him about his lack of a short passing game against Bowling Green's All Out Blitz <laughs> in 2021? Can I do that? Can we bring him on just so I can ask him schematic questions and make him really <laughs> uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, well. Yeah. We should talk about that for sure. I I, I think I'd be down for that. I was. I haven't forgiven you, Mike. I haven't. <laughs> all right. No, I'm just kidding. I forgive everyone. Okay. Life moves on. It was just one game. Um, all right. What injuries hurt the most? Uh, Nickelback Noah Pierre might have provided more in the secondary if he hadn't gotten hurt, for sure. And then Cam Camper, obviously that injury at wide receiver was no good. Omar Cooper tore an ACL. Um, and just the consistent injuries at DB, like Jameer Johnson, Kobe Miner, you know, Noah mm-hmm. Pierre, all those guys. Um, so that was kind of the injury block of how that impacted uh, Indiana. And then what were your, the most pivotal games and how did they go? I thought that this one was the Louisville lost 21-14. 
I think really was, dude. That game was so heartbreaking to watch, dude. Uh. Uh, and I was thinking they had a chance to, nope. to beat them, and they, they were down 21 nothing at half, and then the second half, mm-hmm. they pulled it together, they scored a couple touchdowns, they played lights-out defense, and then to tie or win the game, Taven Jackson had a scramble that comes up a half-yard short, and with a half-yard on fourth down to win the game, Tom Allen called a slow-developing handoff. To which I'd say, your quarterback's 6'5 and a jock. Just yeah. sneak the ball. Sneak it. Get under center and sneak the ball. You're, you can't the get half a yard. The most freaking play all season was the tush push. Why are you not doing that with that freaking beast in the uh, you know running the ball over the goal line? I don't understand it. I was It was so hard to it watch, was, man. I felt so bad for, for Indiana after uh, this loss. Because you saw it. You saw them coming back. And I really thought they were going to pull it off. I really did. Yes, Tom Allen did. failed them there. He should have called a QB sneak or a pass play or something, but a slow developing handoff was about the worst call you could have made. And uh, this was a critical game, and it foreshadowed a lot of l- close losses mm-hmm. later in the season. That would have, that would have uh, set the, the pivotal, tone, though, for the season had they just pulled out that win. I feel like it would have been totally different. Oh, absolutely. It would have set the whole tone for the year. It would have been, it would have been a totally different season. I, I truly believe if IU wins that game against absolutely. Louisville, it's a totally different season. Um, Maryland was a uncompetitive loss, 44 to 17. That was the season's last chance for a quote unquote, get right game. You know, after they barely scraped by Akron and quadruple overtime, IU went to Maryland who, you know, was kind of, you know, Maryland always looks like a paper tiger early in the year. Um, and Indiana just got, I mean, Indiana just got run off the field. It was it was a bad day for them. Well, for you know, the, when Maryland's offense is on, they're really on. So they were, and they sure were that day. Yep. And then the the loss that I think guaranteed Tom Allen's firing was the Purdue loss, thirty five thirty one. You know, you could not. They just Indiana had a shot to win this game, but they managed to lose a one score game to a rebuilding Purdue. You know, it's your it's your arch rival. They're in year one of a rebuild. Indiana had, you know, Purdue's had their number. Indiana had to get over the hump against a year one head coach and get and get the win, and he just didn't. And you know, they also lost one score games to Illinois, Michigan State, uh, yeah, Illinois and Michigan State. So it's just it's frustrating. You know, if you look at that Purdue game, Tom Allen had a chance to win the game outright and go for the jugular and try to take the lead, and he just wasn't very aggressive offensively. Yeah. I thought. Um, which was frustrating. And then the other one that I think the all for you guys put on here was week eight against Rutgers at home. Indiana loses 31 14 for a not large number of reasons. This was a game IU couldn't lose. It was homecoming. This was their would be their third loss to Rutgers in a row. It was week eight and Rutgers hadn't had their bye week yet. And they had had their bye week a couple of weeks before. So, but unfortunately Indiana did lose and they got beat up, you know, on the line of scrimmage in doing so. Um, Rod Carey's offense really hadn't kind of hadn't caught on yet. Like it did a little later in the year. Um, I just got, I got to give him a little credit for the week 10 game against Wisconsin though. Um, I, you know, like just absolutely not to, you know, I understand overall Indiana season was, was a down season. Uh, You know, there's no other way of going about it, but 
there were some bright spots and I think the I got to get I got to say the win against Wisconsin was impressive. I know that Wisconsin was a little dinged up but but you know it's never easy to play that to play uh, Wisconsin and and I think Indiana was able to pull it together and they looked pretty good doing it. And I think that's when you really for me I think that was the uh the Donovan McCauley uh breakup performance that really made me take notice. Yeah. Absolutely. That was a good win for the Hoosiers for sure. And a frustrating loss for the Badgers. So, yeah. I um, Next question. How do you feel about the coaching staff? And were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? If so, what are your thoughts on both the new and departing coaches? And both, you know, all of our Indiana contributors said either I'm thankful for Tom Allen or mm-hmm. we love Tom Allen. You know, and that, that he really appreciated what he did in 2019 and 2020 when they had two really good years. And it just sucks that those two really good years, you know, after the pandemic, just everything went downhill and it became nine wins in three seasons. So um, and then for for the new coaches, uh, they're really excited about Kurt Signetti. You know, they like his confidence. They like his track record. You know, in his introductory presser, he said he went 14 and nine in two years at Elon and said and he said, I don't like 14 and nine. 14 and nine is pretty good. So if he's saying he's saying that the bar is higher than that for what he wants, how he wants to win. So that's exciting. Um, and Signetti, the thing about him for me, I keep coming back to is that he's won everywhere he's been right. Including at low levels. He won at Elon. He won big at, at James Madison, but also before that from 2007 to 2010, when Alabama was at the height of their dynasty, he was Nick Saban's recruiting mm. coordinator. And Nick Saban is the best talent evaluator of our lifetime. You know, everyone says he's the best at that. And you can see with the amount of guys he puts in the pros that he's the best at figuring out, you know, which guys projecting guys who are 16, 17, 18, projecting how good they're going to be down the road. So that makes me think that Signetti is, you know, he was a critical piece, one of the greatest coaching staffs in football history. And I think I think the recruiting coordinator is the most important non-coordinator assistant coaching role. So other than the OC and DC, I think the recruiting coordinator is the most important guy on the staff. So he's the guy who identifies which players will be the best down the line. And Mix- Nick Saban is the greatest talent evaluator of modern times. Signetti was his right-hand man. That's a big deal to me. So I, I really think that Signetti is going to win. I think he's going to win big at Indiana in a way we haven't seen in a long well and he's just going to have better resources now being in the big 10 um yes i know it's indiana uh and they've they've been towards the bottom of the big 10 for a long time but i think that even the quote-unquote you know bottom dwellers of the big 10 are going to be able to up their game and raise their floor and i think indiana with kirk signetti is going to be able to do that there are no bad programs left in the big 10 really there are no bad programs anymore. Everyone is up their game. It is going to be unbelievably competitive and going to be as, you know, one of the toughest conferences in history, you know, just yep. going forward every year. Um, which players will make an immediate impact next year? We'll just briefly name a couple because we're to, this is a review, not a preview. But Curtis Rourke, I'm really interested in him as the QB transfer from Ohio University. Um, James Carpenter is a DL transfer from James Madison, second team all-conference Sunbelt last year. Nick Kidwell is OL transfer and Trey Wittig is another OL transfer. Um, so those guys will be interesting to watch going into string ball. I'm going to be really curious about them. Yeah. Next question we had was how did you do in the transfer portal, both losing and gaining players? 
And, you know, Indiana really did well in the portal in that they were able to keep the guys on who went in the portal. They got them to come back to the team. So like we talked about Donovan McCauley, um, the running back Howland, uh, Carter Smith and Mike Cady, uh, the two offensive linemen. And yeah, so Signetti did a really good job recruiting his own his own roster. And I think you got to give him credit for that. And because of that, Indiana has a chance, I think, to, to make some noise next year. Next question, we asked our contributors, what did they think about all three coordinators? Um, another funny quote from Dom the Rev, I love everything about Mike Shanahan. No, not that Mike Shanahan. Not the NFL Mike Shanahan, guys. Different Mike Shanahan, but you have to explain it every time. Um, him, Signetti, Tino Sinceri, they have been re- were really successful at James Madison. They adapt their scheme to their players and run what works. Um, so that's it does seem like he's a he's a really good hire. Um Bryant Haynes on defense at D, on defense is impressive. He's his DC seasons at JMU uh were really good statistically. They've had great run defenses, good tackle for loss numbers. So hopefully that translates. And then they're excited about Grant Kane on special teams. Um he JMU had good special teams efficiency numbers under them. So hopefully that translates. Um, and Kane also coaches tight ends. So it'll be interesting to see if he is a special teams and tight ends coach at the big 10 level, or if he's going to huh. just be special teams. So that'll be something to track too. Um, next question. What letter did you give your team for this past season? Unequivocal F and John, I think I would agree with an F you go three and nine and one, you go three and nine overall one and eight in the big 10. Yeah. That's a fail. Like I said before in a previous podcast is like, I think there was, there were some flashes throughout the season of reasons to maybe have some optimism for, for next season, but you know, it just wasn't anywhere near enough. And uh, Tom Allen, unfortunately, you know, I think that he he's done what he could there um, and it was definitely time to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look for Indiana to be active, looking for defensive line depth in the portal. That's going to be something, particularly a defensive tackle. Um, that's what what they're really thin. So that's something to track to see is Indiana able to get. It's hard to find defensive line guys in the portal because everybody wants them. So that'll be something to track to see if Indiana is able to pick up anybody that way after the spring portal period when when guys when depth charts shake out and we'll have another round of portal stuff, which we will cover on the We Live right. Saturday podcast. And then my last question for everyone is, how's your team uh, doing NIL-wise? Is your collective growing? And I asked, my big question for everyone is, do you utilize a pay-for-play model like in Ohio State, or do you want to pay, or you wait to pay guys until they produce on the field? Because that seems to be the two ways. It's kind of the Ohio State way versus mm-hmm. the Michigan way. Ohio State's paying their players up front and whatever. And Michigan's like, come to campus, and then we'll pay you. Yeah. Right. So those are kind of the two ways to do it. So I'm very curious in which in where every Big Ten team is kind of leaning as far as that goes. Um, so IU has had a nice push in in uh, NIL. They got a big donation from Mark Cuban. I think he gave like three million dollars wow. or something like that. And then they did a they did a a match thing, and they, so small dollar NIL was able to come up with a decent you know match drives the last several months. So it sounds like, you know, IU has more 
NIL money now than they've had in the whole history of the portal up until now. So it'll be interesting to see how they spend it. My guess is they spent a lot of it yeah. retaining their roster and getting guys to stay around. And that would be the, that's that's always how you want to kind of start with NIL is keeping your own guys before you go out to yeah. to get more. But it wouldn't surprise me if Curtis Rourke got a little something to come from Ohio also. All right. So Indiana, John, in conclusion, is a school I'm really excited to watch next fall. I feel like they'll be a tough out and uh, and they'll be a really tough team to predict going into the season because with the new coaching change and all the overhaul mm-hmm. and all the different players, you know, it's going to be a really exciting to follow the Hoosiers in spring ball. And, and I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Um, plus, it's always, you know, for the most part, it's always exciting to have a new head coach and uh, you know, I think Signetti has a great track record, like we already discussed. And so, yeah, man, if I were a Hoosier fan, I'd, I'd be pretty optimistic at this point. Absolutely, for sure. Speaking of an optimistic fan base, John, should we talk about? The yeah, Michigan let's Wolf? do it. I think they've got a little bit to be excited about this year. Little bit, just a little bit. The Michigan Wolverines went fifteen and zero, nine and zero in the Big Ten Conference. And before we talked about them, I want to just give a big shout out to our uh, fan expert, Third and Blue. That's third underscore and underscore blue on Twitter. Another good follow. So I really appreciate we really appreciate uh, Third and Blue's contributions to the podcast. And yeah, thank you so much. All right. So which position groups are good in 23-24? I thought this was a really funny answer (laughs) because... You look at Michigan, they were pretty good everywhere. They went undefeated and won a national title. So obviously the offense and defensive lines were were probably the stars. They were unbelievably yeah. dominant this year. The Wolverines didn't really have to blitz on defense ever because their four defensive linemen were constantly wreaking havoc anyway. Um, so this is how he ranked them in this order. Uh, D-line, O-line, running back, secondary, linebackers, quarterback room, special teams, wide receivers, which... JJ McCarthy at six is that just shows you how strong the team was because JJ McCarthy was was yeah. pretty good I would say it's a pretty good quarterback played pretty pretty well all year was very dominant and had incredible statistics you know for most in mm-hmm. all but a couple games um and then which I asked which position group struggled and our contributor third and blue said wide receivers said they weren't a huge downfield threat against most teams mostly due to the fact that they were undersized and not huge vertical threats. However, they were still efficient, despite the fact that the Michigan game plan is not a pass-heavy attack. I love third and blue. I do. I love you. I'm going to push back a little bit. I think Roman Wilson was a really solid number one Big Ten wide receiver. I thought Cornelius Johnson was a very good complementary piece at wide receiver. They had 789 and 604 yards, respectively, and each had impressive yards per catch numbers at 16.4 and 12.9. And oh yeah, Roman Wilson had 12 touchdowns. 12 at wide receiver. That's one for every regular season game, John. <laughs> I mean, I, he didn't score in every game because yeah. there were the playoffs and stuff too. But he had, but I when you say the wide receivers struggled and they were that good, that shows you what kind of team oh, Michigan yeah. was. They were a team. They were a team devoid. Of and that, well, that's exactly what we said all season long, man, is that team was just a, across the board. It was practically flawless. And so if you're picking apart these wide receivers and being, you know, putting them at the bottom, uh, you know, it's 
you're you're just trying to find something, which I think he is. I don't, you know. Which we asked. We yes. Asked, we asked him to do it. We asked him to find a position group that struggled because we sent everyone the same questions. We couldn't change it just for Michigan, you know. Um, so he found something that wasn't the most dominant. And I think that just shows you what kind of season yeah. Michigan had. Um, what coaches were successful or unsuccessful? Um, this is just, this is going to be a lot like the other answer. Michigan was so elite this year. There just isn't much to talk about aside from their greatness. So successful far and away, they wrote Jesse Minter as defensive coordinator. I would agree. Uh, his defense just, he said he confused even the best offensive teams. I'd say they bludgeoned offensive teams. I don't think they needed to confuse people that much. They just ground them into powder and Michigan was the best defense in the country. Mm -hmm. And we saw it every week. Um, you know, but, but, but he was creative. Marvin Harrison Jr. admitted at one point that they showed coverages he'd never seen before. So Jesse Minter is definitely a capable, creative guy. Um, he just didn't have to be that creative that much of the time. Uh, Sharon Moore as offensive coordinator. And also he took, took over as head coach for a few games when Harbaugh was suspended. Um, you know, he's designed a system that eventually broke every team down. And 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 we managed to pound them and just really dispose of them. And it was a very, you know, I think we underrate how dominant Michigan was offensively because they didn't score fifty yeah. points every game. Although they did score fifty did. points some games. But I think you didn't. You didn't. You were so busy, just like enamored with how incredible their defense was that their yes. offense didn't really have to do a lot because they never really were playing from behind. They never had to play catch up. They never had to really do anything that fancy because they knew they could rely on their defense. And yeah, and essentially their offensive line play and every other position group was still so good that they knew that they, as long as they just played their game and were methodical, they would be, they'd be just fine. They'd score enough points and walk out of there victorious. Exactly. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention defensive line coach, mm-hmm. Mike Elston. Um, as that un- that defensive line was totally unstoppable. They terrorized everybody they played, stuffing the run and rushing the passer. And what's really scary is that most of those guys are back for 2024. So Michigan will again be unbelievably terrifying on the defensive line next year. So Big Ten fans get excited for that. Um, unsuccessful, there weren't really any coaches who fit that description. So Third and Blue said, unsuccessful, Connor Stallions. <laughs> If you're going to cheat, be better at it. Jeez. Close quote. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree that Connor Stallions is the loser from the Michigan staff and that he was fired before he could get one of those, put a championship on his resume and get one of those national title rings. But yeah, Michigan dominated all over the field. There weren't really any unsuccessful coaches. They ran the ball. They threw the ball. They stopped the run. They stopped the pass. Special teams were plenty good. And, you know, for everybody else out there, we are... We do not condone Connor Stallions. We are laughing at this, this because it is just a funny comment, a little tongue in cheek here. But it's uh, they didn't need to. They, there was no reason to cheat. This team didn't need it. That's the thing that makes me mad about the Michigan cheating scandal is not that they is that they didn't need to do it. They could have. I fully believe Michigan could have not cheated Absolutely. and won a national title this year. And we saw that later in the season when they were exposed and they were no longer able to do advanced scouting, which is illegal. Once they couldn't do the illegal advanced scouting, exactly. they still won all their so, games. Yeah. So I, it's a frustrating, 
I'm not Michigan fans. We don't want to be hard on you. Like enjoy your national championship. You deserved it. We yes. think you would have won it anyway. It's just ridiculous that Michigan was cheating when they didn't. Yes, be cheating. that's it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. What injuries hurt the most? Um, Michigan really didn't have a lot of injuries this year. You know, Junior Colson was hurt a little bit, but he played with, you know, with a club on his hand and didn't make much of a difference either. He was still amazing. Yeah. Third and blues quote was the lack of injuries can be attributed to the strength and conditioning program of Ben Herbert. And by drinking the blood of their enemies every morning before the team lift. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, sometimes Michigan was an elite team, national title worthy team. And also they had elite luck, too. You know, they didn't have a ton of injuries and the injuries that they did have were dispersed throughout different position groups and weren't all in the same place, which is where that's when teams get killed when you get all of your injuries in the same positions. All right. Most pivotal games and how did they go? Um, The third and blue said at Penn State. Ohio State, Alabama, and Washington. Uh, Penn State described it as the most difficult road environment the Wolverines played in. Um, You know, they ran the ball 38 straight times in the second half, and that was by design because it was so loud, it was hard to hear the snap count. And so it was hard to get in different plays and run different passing plays. And so they simplified the offense and just pounded away because they knew they could do it because they had a Joe Moore award-winning O-line well, they didn't win it this year, but they won it the two years before. Um, and Blake Corum, you can afford to be patient and pound the ball. So Michigan won that war of attrition with Penn State, and we found out which day that day which was the tougher team, and it was the guys wearing maize and blue. Um, John, you and I have both, not the same game, but you and I have both been to games at Beaver Stadium, and I can attest it's the loudest stadium I've yeah, ever I, been to. I, we've both been to whiteouts there, and it's insane i went to yeah. Aub- the auburn game i think in 2021 and you were at the minnesota game in 2022 right yeah and correct it is insane yeah. so all of the hype is warranted uh, yeah it's for it's real. real you can't hear a damn thing it's th- no you can't it's loud and i've been in plenty loud stadiums even dude even the shoe isn't that yeah. isn't as loud as penn state and the shoe is wild the shoe is a wild experience um, so yeah, I always, you got to give Penn state credit. Their crowd always shows mm-hmm. up in a big way. Um, Ohio state was an interesting game. You know, Michigan never trailed. They controlled possession. They forced Ohio state's offense to make mistakes. And the Buckeyes had a real chance to win at the end. They had a, they were driving down the field with time running out with a chance to score and win the game, you know, down six. So a touchdown wins it. Uh, but once again, Michigan came up with a big play via the pass rush. They got a pass rush and a great interception to seal it. Uh, Michigan came really close to disaster that day, but they were the better team overall. and They managed to pull it out. And that was, you know, I kind of think that in the Alabama game were were Ohio State's toughest games by far. Um, the Alabama game was obviously scary. You're playing Nick Saban in the playoffs in the Rose Bowl. But the defense, man, the defense against Alabama was just unbelievable. They were giving Jalen um, fits all day. He just couldn't get anything yes. going. And you saw him yeah, by the end of that game. He was he looked like a freaking head case, man. And yeah, I can't blame him. Yeah. And Blake Corum just pounded and pounded until eventually Alabama broke. And they broke in overtime. And Michigan just ran the ball up the middle on him. And that was it. 
touchdown game over. So that was, you know, and the, the game tying drive to send it to overtime was definitely like a, like a Hollywood script or something. So, uh, it was, Mm -hmm. it was pretty wild. That was a pretty wild game, but Michigan managed to come out on top in both those games. And then Washington, the national title game was not a close. It wasn't a close game. It was, it was close on the scoreboard into the third quarter, but at, at no point did I think Washington had a meaningful chance to win that game. No, it's, it's Michigan was dominant and the defense was dominant and you could tell that eventually the dam was going to break and Michigan was going to score points. It was, it wasn't a matter of if well, Michigan just continued throughout the entire season playing their game. And that boa constrictor example is exactly what they continued to do to every single team. And it worked every single time. And they just, and to shut down Michael Penix like that, exactly. Man, well, that's and that's awesome. just it. And you saw to, to have that level of confidence and knowing that your system, your game is going to work every single time, and believing in it and sticking to it that much, um, and not really having to make many adjustments. You know, unless you know, like you said with the with Penn State, but even that, it was still the same mentality, and it continued to work all the way until the end, and, and won him a national title. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, question, how do you feel about the coaching staff and were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? What are your thoughts on the new and departing coaches? Obviously, this is, we know Jim Harbaugh's gone. Uh, Third and Blue wrote, this is a loaded question. You guys know it. <laughs> uh, Jim Harbaugh's gone and, you know, obviously he won the national title and rode off into the sunset and you can't argue with there. You've got Sharon Moore, a young, energetic head coach who is integral to the culture there. Um, losing Jesse Minter is a concern, you know, how do you replace him? And then the strength coach Herbert, I think, you know, they're, I think they're elevating the assistant strength coach. So hopefully he's able to pick up where Herbert left off, but I'm really curious to see who Michigan gets a DC because they were the best defense in the country this year. And Jesse Minter is a huge loss. Yeah, I'm, I am too. I'm curious. I'm sure they'll be able to find some, uh, a solid replacement, but, uh, at this period of time, uh, I'm not really, I'm not really sure on, uh, who they'll go with, but you know, again, we'll be reporting on that as it happens. Yeah. Do the new coaches seem better or worse than the coaches they replaced? I mean, John, Mich- Jim Harbaugh did something at Michigan that hasn't been done since the post-World War II era and won an outright national championship, undefeated season. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any way Sharon Moore can, you know, unless he wins another national title, he can't live up to that. And so maybe he can. Maybe he can win another national title. Maybe Sharon Moore is young and hungry. Here's my theory. If Sharon Moore, let's say it works out and Sharon Moore wins a national title, right? I think it's going to be because of this. Moore is a great recruiter and he can build on having that national championship title in his pocket. Cause the thing about Harbaugh is that he was recruiting like around the 10th best class in the country mm-hmm. this year, 10 to 15. So closer to 10 in recent years. Um, so Harbaugh has recruited at an elite level, but not the most elite level. He's not recruiting with Alabama and Ohio state and Georgia yeah. and Texas. Right. So he's managed to overcome that through talent development and through getting guys to stay for fourth, fifth, sixth years uh, to make up for not having that top three to five recruiting class that we see so many of the contenders get. 
So that's my theory. If it's going to work for Sharon Moore, it's going to be because he uses this national title and improves the recruiting. And Michigan goes from getting top 10 t- classes year in, year out to getting top five classes year in and year out. And if, because I don't, and this is not a knock on Sharon Moore, Jim Harbaugh is one of the greatest coaches who ever lived. I don't think Sharon Moore is going to be able to develop talent at the quite at the same level as Jim Harbaugh. So he's going to have to recruit a little better if he wants the same. I totally agree. I think if the only way he's going to be able to keep up um, is by increasing his ability to uh, find that level of recruits um, and be able to basically catch up with Ohio State. Um, And because you're now also going to be competing with Oregon and USC, who also bring in pretty, you know, elite talent. And I think it's possible. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, but to be able to develop the way Jim Harbaugh was did, I think that that's that's something you just don't see very often. And and you can't. And even looking back and through history, there's just not many football coaches who were able to do that at that level. Dabo at Clemson had similar classes mm-hmm. and won two national titles. But it's Harbaugh and Dabo, and most of the other guys winning titles are people yep. recruiting in the top five. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question we had, which players will make an immediate impact next year? Um, and third and blue throughout wide receiver Samaj Morgan, who I'm excited to watch him develop as well. He's got a lot of juice to him. Uh, Giovanni El Hadi at O-line. Alex Orgy at QB. It'll be really interesting to see Alex Orgy and how he compares to um, J.J. McCarthy. Uh, Kalel Run- Mullings at running back. And uh, Josiah Stewart at edge and Keon Saab or Sab at DB. So look for these guys to break out next year. And then how'd you do in the transfer portal, losing and gaining players? Michigan has not really lost anybody in the portal that they mostly, you know, guys way down the depth chart. And they were able to take Jay Sean Barham from Michigan at linebacker, which man, that hurts. That hurts Maryland. <laughs> Is like good for Michigan, but man, that hurts Maryland. Barham yeah. is a really good player. We talked about we talked yeah. about him a lot this year. So I feel bad for the Terrapins that he decided to leave. Um, next question: What are your thoughts about all three of your coordinators, offense, defense, and special teams? We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Who the coordinators are going to be at Michigan? So you know, we know we know Sharon Moore is in charge, and when when uh, Sharon Moore picks his coordinators. We will talk about it on this program. What letter grade would you give your team for this past season? I mean, it's you can't give anybody anything but an A plus. They went fifteen and zero and won the national title. Like, yeah, what? Are there's we, what really are we no no discussion here. It's that, or you know, or you just have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah, uh, Michigan is going to look to add at wide receiver in the transfer portal after the spring transfer period when that opens up. So it'll be interesting to see if Michigan can bring in anyone who can be like an immediate impact guy at wide receiver. Um, Cause that's a place where they're pretty young and uh, you know, Roman Wilson is gone. So they need someone to step up and be that number one guy. Um, and then the last question, how's your team doing NIL wise? Is your collective growing? Do you utilize a pay-for-play model like Ohio State, or do you wait to pay guys until they produce on the field? And Michigan is the opposite, like we said, of Ohio State. They do a those-who-stay model that's built on production over time and a commitment Mm -hmm. to stay at the program. The longer you stay, the more your NIL increases. Um, It's a lot. It's the opposite of OSU. And they wrote OSU with S as a dollar sign, which I'm not sure if that's 
intentional or not. I feel like they pretended like it was an accident, but I feel like that's intentional. <laughs> and I love that. I love a good, subtle dig <laughs> in a rivalry. All right. Anything else you want to say about uh, about the mich- the national champion Wolverine? You know, John, we've already fun. we've already covered it, this a, a few times talking about Michigan and talking about Jim Harbaugh and what the job they've done here in 2023. And you know, uh, you can complain, you can talk about the cheating scandal, uh, you can say you hate Harbaugh, whatever. Um, you know, and we are not Michigan fans, but. I refuse to listen to anybody that tries to tell me that this team was not capable, cheating or no cheating, or, you know, like was not capable of winning a national title somehow and that they lucked into it and they don't deserve it or anything like that. I think you're just, you're full of BS and this team deserved it. It earned it. It showed it on the field every week. Um, And as much as there is a part of me that doesn't want to give them that much credit because I'm not a fan uh no. i have to i have to and you just can't tell me otherwise at this point in time that they didn't earn this 15 and 0 15 and 0 undefeated in the big 10 and they beat nick saban to get to the national title game i don't know what else yeah. you want a team to do all right should we talk about john Let's the iowa it. hawkeyes all right the iowa hawkeyes Went ten and four, seven and two in the Big Ten. Uh, big shout outs to Bart Pierce on Twitter and also the Murphy Group for their contributions. We would have not have been able to do this uh, to this depth in that extent without you. So thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. We gave us they gave us a lot of great stuff. Well, and that's so thanks again. at Adam Edge sixteen, the Murphy Group on Twitter. Oh, sorry. Yes. At Adam Edge 16, if you want to follow him. And Murphy Group, both Bart Pierce and the Murphy Group are great follows. Bart Pierce is all one word. All right. Um, which position groups were good in 2023-24? And can I just say the defense was the first response, which is a legitimate. Iowa was first in yards allowed per play, fourth in scoring D, and seventh in total D. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, but the linebacker group was really elite. Jay Higgins uh, tied the record for most tackles, single tackles in a single season in Iowa history with 171 tackles, John. 171 tackles from one player. Um, It's bananas. He had five tackles for loss, two sacks, an interception, four passes defended, a forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Dude was a Butkus semifinalist and arguably should have been a finalist. Um, This season, and that was really impressive. Uh, and then uh, Nick Jackson had a nice year at linebacker. He ended up with 110 tackles, four sacks, eight tackles for loss, four passes defended, two forced fumbles. So Iowa linebackers, they tackle well, and they help force turnovers. That's that's kind of something you get out of them. Um, the D line was really good and deep. Joe Evans' name, you know, he's not, Van, he's not a Van Ness or an Epinesa. But his stats were pretty good. Nine and a half sacks, 13 tackles for loss to lead a DL that had 24 of Iowa's 33 sacks. So Iowa, as usual, did not blitz a lot. You know, Iowa doesn't always blitz very much. They like to play coverage and, you know, sit back and and uh, crowd the box and make you pass the ball without giving you anything easy. Um, 
Six defensive linemen had at least two and a half sacks and four and a half tackles for loss. So you got a lot of production across the line. And uh, DBs were really great. The defensive back play was great. And it was led by all American and probably future first round draft pick Cooper DeGene. That guy was incredible. He was incredible as a defender. He intercepted passes. He returned punts for touchdowns. I mean, he is one of the best collegiate football players I've seen. Unbelievable. Absolutely. And so uh, also Deshaun Lee uh, did a good job filling in, but obviously you're not, he's not, was not Cooper DeGene. Sebastian Castro had a phenomenal year and somehow didn't make all crazy coaches. He was a freaking menace, dude. Oh, dude. Sebastian Castro. Yeah. Is in, he's incredible. Yeah. Guys, he's everywhere. And, like, everywhere he's got, all dude, I, I swear to God, every, he's, it's the hit stick every time. Like all I think about is, is NCAA football. Every time he freaking tackles, man, like that hit stick is going full bore. It's he is a punishing, punishing defensive player. Yeah. Yeah, he's leaving. He's caught. He's sending people to the ice oh, baths after the game. Is what he's doing. Yeah. Um, punter. I mean, what can you say about Tory Taylor? All American won the Ray Guy Award for the best punter of the year. Cemented himself as a legend in Iowa City. He averaged forty-eight point two yards per punt. John, forty-eight yards per punt. Had thirty-two inside the twenty-yard line. Just seven. What is that like? Like that's so. That's amazing. And and I feel like like he's a robot. He He absolutely is, dude. He he's got to be like functioning through AI or something like that. I'm not sure, but it it's amazing. And when you know people people make fun of Iowa for a lot of things, and they make fun of things that you know because in Iowa has owned the whole punting is winning thing. And unless you understand and have witnessed this for years, you don't get it. You don't get it, and you, and you're being foolish by making fun of Iowa for for embracing the whole punting thing because it's it really makes a massive difference. And Tory Taylor was a huge difference maker. He won them games. There are games they absolutely would not absolutely have won without him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the tight ends were pretty successful despite all the injuries. You know, Luke Lachey went down early. Eric All stepped in, played really well. Eric All goes down. Then Addison Estrenga stepped up and played really well. Um, tight ends like Stilianos, Large, or- Ortworth, and Pascuzzi all stepped in and played important roles. So, you know, Iowa, they just yeah. have no end of tight ends. There's just no lack of them. That's how it, That's how it is. Um, which position struggled offensive tackle, especially in pass protection. Um, you know, they had a lot of multi-year starters returning across the line. So Iowa expected to have a lot better play at offensive tackle, Mm -hmm. but they just didn't. Um, the left tackle Mason Richmond battled injuries for a third straight year. And so that was pretty rough. Um, Dejon Parker came in and he was hurt a lot too. Um, they tried Gennings Dunker at right tackle and he's a big player and he's a decent run blocker, but he isn't great in pass pro either. It's really hard to find offensive tackles people. That's one of the hardest positions, body type position to find in all of football. So a lot of teams have trouble with them and Iowa was no exception, was no exception last year. 
Um, they were okay in the interior the offensive line, but yeah, those tackles got got beat a lot. And then at wide receiver, man, we talked about it how how Iowa's recruited at a MAC level for the last five years at wide receiver, and you know it started out really well too. Seth Anderson caught that first TD pass from Cade McNamara. The whole in in the very beginning of their first game, the whole Iowa fan base is going crazy, and just by the end of the year, it was just more of the same. Caleb Brown, the transfer from Ohio State, he showed flashes, but he struggles to get on the field for the first half of the season, and he has a lot of drops, a lot of drops. Uh, Deontay Vines got hurt. Nico Ragaini, you know, he had he did okay, but he's just not that great. Um, it was a really rough year. Yeah, for it Iowa was tough players. sometimes to watch that. You know, it wasn't just Deacon Hill, although that was a a big a big reason, but like. Even when he was throwing them on the numbers, you just saw these wide receivers just continue with drops throughout the entire season, and it, uh, it was it was tough. It was tough to watch. You just you know they needed a win. They needed a, and unfortunately, these wide receivers sometimes wide open just wouldn't come down with it. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a tough, just a tough year. And obviously, we can throw QB in there. Deacon Hill was terrible after yeah. Cade McNamara went down. Yeah. I mean, he was really bad. Okay. Um, and now let's talk about successful position groups. Obviously, we talked about linebacker um, and how great they were. Uh, Higgins and Jackson both come back for 2024. So that'll be a really big deal. Iowa should be, again, be great at linebacker. And uh, D-line. And so that was linebacker coach Seth Wallace, excuse me. Uh, and then Kelvin Bell after losing Van Ness, Wagoner, and... Uh, and Shannon from last year's line, there could have easily been a drop off of production, but Iowa had another, a third straight season of 30 plus sacks in 2023. So that's really impressive. Uh, losing Noah Shannon was a big loss. You know, he got kicked mm-hmm. off the team for gambling and he was a really good player. He was a, I think he was a gopher think you're at right. one point. And, uh, and he's been a really good player for them. So they missed him last year for sure. Successful, obviously, Phil Parker at defensive coordinator and LeVar Woods on special teams. Phil Parker and LeVar Woods are two of the very best at their positions in college football. Iowa is extremely unfortunate, is extremely fortunate to have both of them. And it's a testament to Kirk that those guys hang around when they could Absolutely. go coach anywhere they wanted to. Yeah. All right. Um, the big unsuccessful position coaches are obviously offensive coordinator and QB coach Brian Ferentz. He was fired. Uh, he's not <laughs> somebody. One of our contributors said he's also not a QB coach. <laughs> <laughs> so that shows you how the fan base feels about Brian Ferentz and his job with the quarterbacks. Um, they hired an analyst, John Budamayar, to help try to help him do his job, and they both failed. And here's what's interesting: so they fired their uh, wide receiver coach Copeland whose previous success had been limited pretty much to Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marzette. Um, but he hadn't showed anything in the last three years. He couldn't retain talent. He couldn't, you know, he wasn't, his guys weren't producing. Um, so he showed frust- openly showed frustration at media availability, which is not a great thing to do when you're fighting for your job. Uh, so yeah, he's out. But I think, isn't it Budamayar? Budamayar, didn't they elevate him to be the wide receivers coach now i yeah i saw that on the iowa site and that surprised me because he doesn't have any experience coaching wide receivers yeah they there's some work man there's some work to be done over in iowa city when it comes to this wide receiving core i'm again with less you know lester's got his 
gotta portal it. They gotta port. They gotta. They gotta Absolutely, find somebody. Absolutely, they do. It, they, they, he's got his work cut out for him, man. Coming out next year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what injuries hurt the most? Cade Mer- McNamara obviously was the worst injury. Not just the torn ACL, but he also strained a quad in fall camp, which set Iowa back, and they kind of never got out of that offensive hole all year. Eric All and Luke Lachey at tight end were really bad injuries, and then of course Cooper DeGene's injury, you know, was really noteworthy. And then Noah Shannon didn't get hurt, but but getting kicked off for gambling that hurt a lot too. All right, pivotal games. The first one they had was the thirty-one nothing stomping against Penn State. John, if I recall correctly, Penn State had as many touchdowns as Iowa had first I think downs. You're correct. Yeah. That was a rough day for the Hawkeyes. Um, however, Iowa did rally in subsequent weeks, including a pivotal game number two. They beat Wisconsin 15-6 to in Camp Randall. You know, Wisconsin had the shiny new offense, and it looked like everyone had been hyping them up like they were going to win the West. And then Iowa came in, shut down their offense, and they won on that long LaShawn Williams 80-plus yard TD late in the game. Pivotal game number three against Minnesota in Kinnick. Um, Minnesota had been coming off a 52, 10 beating against Michigan. So, and Iowa was six and one and ranked 24th in the country. So Iowa was favored going into that game. Um, Minnesota gave gifted Iowa a TD in that game on a short field uh, on a face mask penalty and a defensive pass interference to give Iowa the lead. But ultimately the Gophers, just kind of outplayed Iowa that day. They were able to, you know, they only scored 12 points, but they were able to consistently move the ball. So it was all field goals, but Minnesota had five field goal tries, I think, and made four of them. So they couldn't finish in the red zone, but they moved the ball really well between the 20s and moving the ball between the 20s. Well, and having Dragon Kessage really was a huge difference, difference maker for Minnesota. Yes. Yeah, Kessage. I mean, he won Big Ten Kicker of the Year for a reason. He won, he won them multiple games. He won them the Nebraska game. And he also, I would say yeah, he won them the Iowa game as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was pivotal game number three. The next pivotal game was against Illinois. Um, at the time, Iowa was five and two, six and two, and they could clinch the West Division uh, with a win. They, you know, Illinois had a nice early TD drive. You know, it was back and forth for a while. Um, ultimately Caleb Johnson breaks the first down handoff to the right side, runs 30 yards for a TD to take the lead and Iowa wins 15, 13 in a thriller. So Iowa's defense forced a turnover on downs to seal the game and win the big 10 West title. And then pivotal game. The last one was against Nebraska. Iowa had already won nine games and clinched the West title, but they had wanted a 10 win season and they had lost to Nebraska the last year. And, and that was cost them the West title in 22. Um, and you know, I was able to get the job done. And again, it was a nail biter. Nebraska had a chance to win right at the end, but they threw an interception after Iowa threw an interception, Nebraska threw an interception. And then I was able to, you know, make a field goal to win the game. And it wasn't just any field goal kicker because their kicker had been playing terrible. And so they threw out the backup kicker and he made it just over the upright in like a very, it was, I mean, it was like a Disney movie. The backup kicker gets in and has his big day. Good for him. Absolutely. All right. How do you feel about the coaching staff? And were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? If so, what are your thoughts on both the new 
or and departing coaches. And third and blue had to say, I mean, Kirk Ferentz is the dean of coaches, future future Hall of Famer. Um, over the last ten years, he's gone eighty eight and forty, which is a sixty nine percent almost winning percentage, which is really solid. And even better in the last five years, forty four and eighteen. So this is the best. This is the be- his best stretch of extended football in his tenure at Iowa, which is something to to bring up because Kirk had been up and down at times in his tenure before these last five, 10 years when it's been pretty consistent. Uh, um, Phil Parker obviously is the best defensive coordinator in college football. I wouldn't, they say that I wouldn't argue with that either. He won the Broyles award. He probably should have won it earlier. Hey, yeah, I totally to agree with that. And then Iowa recently hired Tim Lester and it'll be interesting. You know, I think, uh, they're saying it's not a home run hire for the staff, but it does check a lot of boxes. Yeah. It's kind of what we said. I don't think this is the greatest hire ever, but I think that Tim Lester is more competent than Brian Ferentz was. And I think with Cade McNamara at quarterback, you'll see improvements yeah, I, I, quickly. Yeah. At least in year one. Um, do your new coaches seem better or worse than the coaches they replaced? I mean, Iowa's offense was the laughing stock of the college football world for three plus years. So hiring any offensive coordinator with reasonable success was going to be an upgrade. Um, And we talked a lot about already, John, about what Tim Lester likes to do. He does a lot of pre-stap motion. Um, He likes the RPO. He likes to attack off tackle. You know, he does a lot of things that'll work with Ferentz. But the fact that he likes to push the ball down the field a little bit is, I think, encouraging for Iowa fans. It's just a matter of do they have the receivers who can do that? I think in Luke yeah. Lachey they do, right? Luke Lachey is for sure a guy who can make those plays downfield, but do they have any wide receivers who can complement Luke Lachey? I feel like it'll be a big a big question yeah, there going into next season. they can stay healthy in the running back position. I think that you know we'll we'll have to see and obviously if their offensive line can uh, can move a little bit better next season as well. Yeah, for me, it all comes down to will Kirk Ferentz step back and let Tim yeah. Lester do his thing? Or is Kirk Ferentz going to make him stick to his plan and we're just going to end up in the same place next year with Iowa with a terrible offense? I don't, I mean, I even if, I think, like you said, I, I think even if Kirk does that, I still think as long as they can stay healthy with Cade McNamara, it'll still be a much improved offense. But you'll definitely yeah. see Kirk's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, absolutely. It was. What did Cade McNamara say when they asked him about not throwing the ball to wide receivers? He said, hey, man, I don't call the plays. I just play quarterback. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> that was that was really funny. I love that about I love Cade. I do. Like, even though he's a Hawkeye, yeah, I do same. like Cade McNamara. I think he's funny. I think he's funny. He's a good player. All right. In the how did the transfer portal go? Iowa had a big net positive in the transfer portal, gaining five star O tackle and an Alabama starter, Caden Proctor, which is a huge win. And also he started as a true freshman in the That's SEC last year, John. So, so that means he will be probably be your starter for the next two years before he goes pro at left tackle. So that's a big deal. That's a big upgrade for the Iowa offensive line. And they, they struggled yep. at tackle last year. So they, so they needed it. Um, Let's see. Uh, and Terry Thompson transferred in from the Juco ranks um, last year. And then that's the, it doesn't look like we have any other guys coming in other than Caden Proctor this year. What are your thoughts about all three coordinators, offense, defense, and special teams? 
Uh, they simply said Phil Parker, A plus, LeVar Woods, A, offense, Tim Lester to be determined. But I think he'd give Brian Ferentz an yeah. F for this last season. I think we can safely say most Iowa fans would give yeah. Brian Ferentz an F. Uh, what? Let's see. What letter grade would you give your team for the past season? They said B plus. They won games, ten games in the West title, but they can't couldn't give them an A A minus because the offense was so bad and because of how embarrassing some of their losses were. Yeah, which I, I think is too. fair. It's probably where I, I think we did put them around there. Yeah, and yeah, it's going to be a matter of in the portal. Can Iowa? upgrade at wide receiver at all that's going to be something they look to do for sure um how's your last question how's your team nil doing um going is your collective growing do you utilize a pay-for-play model like in ohio state or do you wait to pay guys until they produce on the field iowa's been pretty good at uh at nil actually they've been ahead of some other former of some other big 10 teams and getting their collective going so they've done a pretty good job apparently um this is saying that a regional casino just donated one million over the past three months so that's a big deal and there were some matching things in there with that um they're selling now uh, they're selling a lot of beer and stuff they've got swarm brewing for uh um so that's great i was you know selling alcohol to their fans that's benefit benefiting them by nil so that's really good and the old ad just didn't want anything to do with nil um, but new AD Beth gets is, you know, a little more modern and she sees it's a massive weapon and something that you need to, that you need to be involved in if you're going to win. So Iowa uses it's NIL mostly for player retention, um, at this point. Uh, but you did see, I do believe they paid Cade McNamara yeah. to come to town. So, so they have done pay for play, even if it's mostly just to, they're mostly using it to retain guys. So, Yeah. That was the uh, that was the 2023-24 Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, John. I mean, <clears throat> from what you would think from a lot of people, and you know, I know the national media um, perpetuated this this narrative of like Iowa essentially being somehow a failure of a program because their offense was so bad. They're wrong. They're wrong. It's not. It is by totally no wrong. means a failure of a program. Yes, their offense was terrible. It was horrendous on so many levels. But people, this team won 10 games in the Big Ten. 10 and games. And I don't care what division it was in. I know there's those that will say that too and, and make try to make that point. But that's that's neither here nor there. This It's hard to do in the Big Ten, no matter who you're playing. And Iowa really earned it. And Kirk Ferentz. You know, really, he's a great coach, and he's got some really good pieces there. And um, he could continue to be pretty darn successful here in Iowa. I think they they should be proud of, of what they did this last season, despite um, all of the controversy surrounding the program. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally agree with you. And uh, 10 win seasons are nothing to, nothing no. to sniff at. You know, it's a good... It's a really good bar. A lot of teams would have killed to win 10 games last year. So you have to give them credit for doing that. For sure. All right. Moving on, John, to our last team of the day. We had the Wisconsin Badgers. They went seven and six, five and four in the Big Ten. And a big shout out to our Wisconsin insider at Scooby underscore two, two, seven. Really appreciate it. Scooby gave us some awesome stuff. He's a great follow on Twitter as well. So we encourage you to follow Scooby on Twitter. 
and uh, really gave us a lot of great Wisconsin information. Yeah, so thank you. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to Wisconsin football for sure. Absolutely. All right. First question. What position groups were good in 2023-24? Um, this one Scooby had a hard time answering because of how inconsistent Wisconsin was. But the best, I would say, and I, this would be what I would have said as an outsider, yeah. would be safety. Because Hunter Wohler was absolutely outstanding, was top three in tackles in the whole Big Ten from the safety position. And, I mean, that, that guy, Hunter Wohler, man, he's everywhere. He was in pass coverage. He was up in the box making tackles. He's on the edge making tackles. He's, you know, he's disrupting things everywhere. He's disrupting your offense big, at every turn. Big difference maker so, for sure. Huge difference maker. Um, and then the rotation of Austin Brown, Preston Zachman, and Kamoe Latu was, was really good. Wisconsin usually uses three safeties, um, which has been a staple of a Luke Fickle and uh, Jim Tressel. Not Jim Tressel, excuse me. Wow. Of a Luke Fickle and Tressel <laughs> run defense. Not Jim Tressel. He is yeah. he's enjoying his retirement. The sweater vest. Every all up. Shout out to the sweater <laughs> vest if he's listening. All right. Which position struggled? Um the positions really struggled start the start uh struggles really started with offense, offensive line, and wide receiver. The offensive line struggled at times to figure out the new scheme. The technique and fundamentals of an air raid scheme are a lot different than a power scheme. Uh, Jack Nelson was one of the most penalized offensive linemen in the country with false start holding or not lining up on the line of scrimmage, which is yikes. Uh, Tanner Bordellini, the starting center, really struggled with snaps all season. Sometimes they were they were slow. Sometimes they were low. Sometimes they were wide. It was kind of what we saw from Alabama with the snap problems. Uh, Wisconsin had a minor version of that. And Huber was really good at left guard and Riley Malman at right tackle are really good. Uh, those guys are consistent players um, at right guard. They played two guys, Michael Furtney and Troy Wittig. And as usually say, if you're, you know, if you're randomly rotating offensive linemen, you're probably not playing that well on the offense in that offensive line spot. Wide receiver overall performance was a struggle. However, there are some really bright spots with Will Pauling who had the best season of a Badger wide receiver since Quintez Cephas in 2019. The rest of the wide receivers, Kim Ray DK, CJ Williams, at times Bryson Green, you know, had some moments, but they struggled to get open at times too. Um, they had some inconsistencies with running the wrong routes. You know, Phil's Longo's offense is predicated a lot on wide receivers making reads, um, which can be tough, you know, to learn exactly how to make the correct reads. So that was a problem. And yeah, on defense, defensive line and linebacker, linebacker. Uh, they said edge and inside linebacker both struggled. I would agree, you know, edge, they really missed oh, yeah. Nick Herbig this year. That guy was a one man wrecking crew for the last several years for mm -hmm. Wisconsin at edge. And he was just totally dominant. Um, CJ gets was more of a run stuffer and not much of a speed guy and wasn't able to attack the quarterback the same way. Um, bowlers was playing out of position according to, Scooby and ended up getting moved to DL at the end of the season. And Petrowski is about like gets is again, more of kind of a run stuffer, you know, for inside linebacker, there's a three man rotation with uh Zhang meta and Turner were the incumbent starters from last year. Um, but they were not great at playing in space all the time. 
Jake Cheney did pretty well and was the best of the three, but he still had some moments struggling to tackle in space and uh, missing some run fits and stuff like that. So on the D-line, D-line really struggled as a whole. Um, again, they really miss Keanu Benton. You know, he was he and Herbig were kind of the the focus of that defense for a while the last few years. And so moving on to which position coaches were successful, probably the most successful one was Colin Hitchler, the co-DC and safety coach, either the one uh, he had the most consistency and he's also an ace recruiter. He had who was responsible for a disproportionate amount of 2024 uh, commits to the Badgers. And then running back coach Devin Spaulding had a great season. It's really tough to coach a position when you lose your top two players at times during the season, including Ches Malusi with a broken leg and Braylon Allen missed some time too. Um, and they were able to produce pretty well despite that. Moving on to coaches that didn't do well. Um, again, Mike Brown, associate head coach and wide receivers coach. You know, the on-field performance of his players was not good. Apparently, there was some locker room intrigue with NIL jealousy, uh, which caused Keontes Lewis to enter the portal in mid-September. So that's mm-hmm. not ever good. And was they'd be having uh, verbal arguments with Phil Longo on the sideline, which is not great to be arguing with your offense coordinator when you're a wide receiver coach. So yeah, outside of Will Pauling, the wide receivers were not very good. And then uh, the OL coach, Jack Bicknell, you know, he came with Phil Longo from UNC after spending two seasons there. And it just took a while. I think Wisconsin just took a while for them to adjust to the new scheme. It's just such a departure from what they were doing. I think they'll probably be better next year on the offensive line than what they Yeah, do. I agree. I think another year under the same system is going to help a lot. And just, uh, you know, developing some some uh <clears throat> some new talent that'll probably fit their fit what they're going to play or how they're going to play um a little bit better so yeah. yeah which injuries hurt the most it's pretty easy Ches Malusi at running back Braylon Allen at running back and Tanner Mordecai when he broke his hand at quarterback obviously Wisconsin you know it's a little different season if those guys Braylon Allen could never stay healthy but losing Tanner Mordecai I thought really hurt um, if they have him, you know, who knows? Maybe and dare I say, like, in a way, like losing Ches Malusi because was was even a little bit worse than Braylon Allen. I feel like Malusi. I, I mean, I know maybe the numbers don't add up to this, but like it, it looked to me that Malusi was working better in that system than Allen was. That's fine. Yeah, Malusi is a he was a good fit for sure for it. And it did take, it did seem like Allen got better. In he the did. It took him a little while, but I feel like that's kind of been, you know, his, his MO for most of the seasons though, is Allen takes a little while to get going, but, but yeah, anyway, they're just a, just an observation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, most pivotal games. Uh, they listed the Purdue game as one that was really pivotal. It was the first game all season. The offense looked complete. And, uh, you know, the start of the season and games up to that point, the offense had just struggled in the first half. But the Purdue game was the first one where they came out and scored 21 in the first half and showed that the offense could, you know, had some real potential. And then the Nebraska game, they were coming off a Northwestern game and that uh, that Scooby described as the worst I've seen ever seen of any Wisconsin team play been watching games since 1997. So. Players were calling each other out in the effort in that loss. Wisconsin could have quit. They could have packed it in. Um, But they came out at night in a home game and won in a thriller in OT against Nebraska. That was a big momentum swing for the year. And the Iowa game was a big loss, and it made it clear Wisconsin wasn't going to contend for the West this year. 
All right. How do you feel about the coaching staff and were there any coaching changes during or after the season? Thoughts on the changes? Um, they feel good about the coaching staff. They're excited about Luke Fickle. I would be too after what Luke Fickle did at Cincinnati. You know, there are some personnel issues they need to iron out, but overall pretty excited about next season. Um, coaching changes. They lost their wide receiver coach, Mike Brown, who took a wide receiver position coach with a pay cut at Notre Dame. So that's interesting. He moved to a lateral move like that. You mm-hmm. hate losing guys like that. But in, you bring Kenny Guyton, who was a former Ohio State quarterback, and uh, he was the interim OC for Arkansas this year. Also was a very successful backup Buckeye in his time who shined when, his, uh, when he got his opportunity to play in the Big Ten. So he's got some experience coaching wide receivers, even though he was a quarterback himself. So that'll be really interesting. Kenny Guyton's a guy who I think could be a really dynamic recruiter. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he does um, in Madison. Offensive line coach, they fired Jack Bicknell, was demoted. Well, he was demoted and reassigned to an internal position. So he was, you know, he became an analyst. He's not good enough to coach anymore, according to them. And they brought in AJ Blazik, who was the OL coach at Vanderbilt. Um, and then he was at and was at NDSU before that. So he had a really good, he's had a really good run of developing offensive linemen. It's interesting though. AJ Blazik, because at NDSU, they were running more of like a Wisconsin yeah. power scheme. So it's interesting to bring in that kind of coach when they're running a spread, you know, a spread air mm-hmm. raid kind of system. But uh, so that'll be something to monitor to see how he adjusts there. And then uh, change at safety out. Colin Hitchler was named the same title at Alabama. So that's one hurts a lot because he was a big ace recruiter um, for that 25 class. And he has significant recruiting ties to the Pennsylvania area. So that's that's one that we'll have to see who they decide to hire there because that was a big loss for them. Um, how do you how they feel about the changes? They feel pretty good about them. You know, Kenny Guyton is considered a better recruiter, like I said. So that's an upside. Um, but having a fourth different offensive line coach in four years is yeah. not great. No, you don't like to see that. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how the Wisconsin offensive line plays next season. Um, do your coaches, new coaches seem better or worse than those they replace? So Kenny Guyton, they're saying better. And I would agree with that. I think Kenny Guyton is a really dynamic guy. I've always liked him back to his days as a player. So it'll be exciting to see how he does. Um, they're going to say that AJ Blazik is an upgrade over Jack Bicknell. And if they had to demote Jack Bicknell during the year, then that probably is an upgrade. But again, it'll be interesting to see in that scheme, how mm-hmm. AJ Blazik does. And then, oh, we did get a safety hired, Alex Grinch. So that's yeah. really interesting. I almost forgot. I forgot about that Alex Grinch was hired there. Alex Grinch, as everyone knows, was has been a guy. We talk about failing upward. That guy failed yeah. upward as a defensive coordinator. Everywhere he went, it got worse and worse until he got to USC. And that team couldn't catch a cold. They couldn't tackle your little brother. They couldn't do anything to the point where they wasted, they went seven and five despite having Caleb Williams at quarterback because Alex Grinch was such a bad defensive coordinator. But here's the thing that I'll say. Alex Grinch is not coming to Wisconsin to be the defensive coordinator. He's coming to Wisconsin to be the safeties coach. And I think as a safeties coach, you know, it'll be interesting to follow him. But just because he was a bad defensive coordinator does not mean he'll be a bad safeties coach. Um. But it also doesn't mean he'll be a good one either. So I'm ex- I'm going to be really curious to watch how that plays out. 
All right. And then, of course, the big thing we got to talk about, um, I think, before we go, is the fact that Tyler Van Dyke transfers in from Miami to be the quarterback for Wisconsin. And Luke Fickle's going, went all in on Tyler Van Dyke, all his, all his chips in the Tyler Van Dyke bucket. And that's really interesting to me at quarterback because Tyler Van Dyke, he started off his career pretty well, but he was not good last year at Miami. And he's not really the last couple of years, he's struggled a lot. So I'm interested in what Luke Fickle sees in Tyler Van Dyke. Can he... Can he can he live up to the promise he showed early in his career, or are we going to see the guy who transferred because he couldn't take the next step? I feel like Van Dyke is a little bit feast or famine. Like you're either he's either incredible or he's just it's atrocious. Like and and you don't know what you're going to get. It's a it's also a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. It, you know, from game to game, I I feel like so. It'll be interesting to see how they try to develop him, work with him, if they can get some more consistency with him. He's definitely got the talent, I think. Um, but is he going to be able to keep it together the entire season? Yeah, that's he is he can he be consistent? Because he what he hasn't been is consistent. He's been really, really up and down game to game. And I'm really curious to see how that goes. Um, some other guys that Wisconsin brought in that'll do some uh, be important. They brought in Jaheim Thomas from Arkansas as to play middle linebacker. They're hoping he's an upgrade athletically there. And then uh, Ricardo Hallman tested the NFL waters, but decided to come back. Um, and that's a big deal because he had seven interceptions last year. And he was the guy who, who covered the other team's number one receiver and was often up to the task. So that will be something to track. And then, you know, in the transfer portal, um, you know, Wisconsin lost some guys, Kim Ray DK, Skylar Bell, you know, Troy, Trey Wittig, Nolan Roach. They lost some guys who played a decent amount, but they brought in some guys too, like Tyler Van Dyke, like Jaheim Thomas, like Tackett Curtis from USC. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Wisconsin. I feel like, Luke Fickle needs to have a big year next year because he had all that hype coming out of Cincinnati. They were hype. They were supposed to contend for the, for the conference or for the division this year. They didn't, they weren't very good. I mean, they weren't terrible, but they weren't very good. They were pretty average. And um, as they ended up, you know, seven and six, and this is a big year for Luke Fickle in Madison. Can he show big growth and improve that win total a little bit? with a quarterback that he had a little more time to decide on, or is it going to, you know, continue to be a little bit of a struggle in year two. And that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. It's a lot of pressure, but I think, I think Luke, Luke Fickle is very capable. Um, but you know, I think it didn't help him, uh, with all of the, the preseason hype around him and Wisconsin. I think that, you know, had it just been another like brand new hire and sure he's a great coach, but you know, it's going to take some time for the system to take place and, and work itself out. If that had been the talk instead of, you know, immediate division contenders, they're probably going to win it all um, being, you know, to be, to yeah. finish in the top 10, top 15, whatever um, you know, that just put some, ex some really high expectations. And so of course, you know, when, in, when it turned out the way, you know, you and I expected it, that it was going to take a little bit of time to work, to iron all this out. Um, you know, a lot of people were very disappointed and, you know, which I get, but 
I feel like with a first time head coach in the Big Ten, you know, um, he did fairly well and it was respectable. But yeah, he's got some he's definitely still got some things to prove. And there's going to be there's still going to be some pressure on him coming up this next season. Yep. Which brings to the question, what are your thoughts about all three of your coordinators? Um, Phil Longo, it's interesting. He the Badgers only scored 23 and a half points per game, which was 93rd in the country, which was worse than the last season of the previous staff under Paul Christ and Jim Leonard. So that's not what they expected they were going to get in year one. Um, but they did have a lot of injuries. You know, we have to account for that. Um, and that's just, a, you know, that's just something that you ran into. Um, and they were unfortunately, you know, struck by the injury bug a little bit. Um, Mike Tressel at defensive coordinator, you know, actually did better then the offense this year and only gave up 20.2 points per game, which was 21st in the country. So pretty solid. Um, even with some early struggles, giving up 31 over Washington to Washington state or that head scratching early game scoring blitz by Northwestern. Trestle has been used to a three, three, five mostly from Cincinnati. Um, and at Wisconsin this season, they had to use different lineups and schemes to work with what they had between a two, four, five, two, three, six, or five, one, five the team speed the team speed was just something they needed to improve a lot um luke fickle controls the special teams so that's interesting having your head coach that's like urban meyer did you know he coached the special teams and it was an up and down year because their punter was not did not have a great leg and you know and the kicker was you know he was up and down so john what do you have any thoughts on their coordinators I feel like they've got pretty good coordinators. It's just a matter of if they can take the next step on that offense in year two. Yeah, I think they're pretty well set. Um, I don't think that it's uh, anything to be terribly concerned about at this point in time. Um, I do think they're going to have to show uh, you know some improvement coming up here in 2024. But I think they're going to have more of their pieces in place. Um, I think like we said already uh, that be, having another year under the system is going to do a lot for them, uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, but, you know, I, I expect some improvement overall. I think they're going to be fine. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't think there's any real cause for panic at this time. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, what letter grade did Scooby give the Badgers for the season? Gave them a C minus, which I would agree with. The expectations were they fell well short of expectations to win the Big West, Big Ten West. Um, we also predicted that it would be going to be this kind of year. I thought it was going to be an adjustment year. It's it's hard. The Big Ten is just such a tough conference. It's hard to come in and, and, and succeed right away. So I think it's all about year two and seeing what happens there. Um, I agree. What position does your team most need to address in the transfer portal? The issue is defensive line. And that's somewhere where Wisconsin has been trying to beat down you know, they've been trying to get uh, improve the talent there for a while. Um, the talent isn't where they want it to be in that room, you know, according to Scooby. And I would agree with that from watching them play on the field. Um, so they got to they're going to have to, you know, bring in some guys who can play right away. Otherwise, they're going to be developed depending on some really young depth. And then. How is your team doing NIL-wise? Last question. It was a rocky start to the NIL game for Wisconsin. Um, they always play by the rules. Like Minnesota, Wisconsin's always big on compliance and playing by the rules. And so that's limited them. You know, that stopped them from getting right into it. 
Wisconsin was one of the last teams in the big to actually get a collective together. Uh, Paul Christ was not that interested in working on it and, and facilitating that. And they didn't have anyone step up for a while. Um, now it's going a lot stronger. Um, they had some, they've had some matching funds, things that have worked out and they're trying to get some small dollar donors and things like that. And, uh, yeah. And they don't yet have the beer. The the next thing step for them is probably having like Minnesota or Iowa having like a beer and other alcohol and, and and products that you can like food products that you can eat and drink that will contribute to your team's NIL. So that's something that Minnesota and Iowa have going, but Wisconsin hasn't gotten there yet. So that's something they probably, probably needs to be their next step NIL wise. Yeah. Which I'm a little surprised at. I, I, I feel like Wisconsin would have been all over that. You know, I'm not surprised because Wisconsin had such a formula for such a long time for how they succeeded. Right. And they stuck to the formula, even as the game changed around them, they didn't change that much from what they did in Barry Alvarez in the early nineties to what Paul Chris was doing a couple of years ago. They were running very similar systems. Um, but the game has changed and the world has changed. And now you have to have an NIL collective. So it'll be interesting to see if it looks like if you're going to do the, uh, the triumvirate of hate of Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota looks like Iowa is probably leading in NIL, Minnesota second and Wisconsin is third right now. So it'll be interesting to see going into this new big 10, how schools like that adjust and adapt and who does well and who kind of struggles. Yep. There's a lot of change coming up and uh, we're going to see some of these traditional programs that have uh, been pretty darn successful throughout the years uh, have to adjust. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a whole new testing ground here with all these new teams and, and just the way the game is played in general. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to, we're not really going to know how it all shakes out in, in, in my opinion, until maybe another few years down the line to see where everybody else falls and, and how the rearranging of the, the powers that were uh, to what they will be now. Yeah, I think these first three years are going to tell us a lot of how how the different teams uh, stack up against each other in the Big Ten. I think, you know, I think Oregon's in a really good position coming into the Big Ten. I think the other Pac-12, Pac teams are going to really, you know, I think there's going to be some growing pains. It's a line of scrimmage league. It's a lot more physical than what they've been playing in. And I think it'll take a while to build up the depth on the line of scrimmage. Um, for to compete at the top of the conference, except for Oregon, because I think Oregon already has it there. I think they've already have that talent to compete at the top of the conference. I agree. Totally. Awesome. Well, John, it's been an hour and 50 minutes. Wow. We did not mean to go so long, people, but we had a lot to talk about and our contributors gave us a lot of stuff. So we, yeah, a lot of really great stuff. And thank you so much. This was amazing stuff. And we really appreciate you guys putting in the time and the effort. Uh, this is, you know, you gave us even more than I think we could, than we, <laughs> we were expecting. Yes. That's for sure. But there's even more information uh, we're going to be utilizing from you guys as far as uh, when we're, when we do the preview pods. Um, but right now, we definitely want to thank each and every one of you. This was you went above and beyond, and we just really, really appreciate it. Yes, we really appreciate it. And also, we are still looking for contributors for the teams we haven't done yet. So please reach out to us if you are interested in being a fan expert. It's totally easy. You can join our you can join our group chat, and we will uh, we will just send you a few questions here and there to that you can answer about your team and help us help us better cover your team. 
Well, again, I would like to just shout out everybody. If uh, we want to definitely shout out Rev, uh, Rev or Dom Rev. Dom the Reverend. Um, Dom the Reverend, thank you for correcting me there. Um, All for You podcast, all the guys there, thank you for doing that. Uh, Scooby, we really appreciate all of your work, man. And the Murphy Group, it's just amazing. Everybody, uh, give them a follow on Twitter. And Bart Pierce. And Bart Pierce, thank you, thank you. And uh, and, uh, Third and Blue. Please give each and every one of them a follow. Um, I'm sorry I didn't have all that lined up directly. Uh, I was trying to scroll through all my stuff to find all you guys. So I apologize for that. But everybody, give them a follow. They're great follows. They know their stuff. They love Big Ten football. Um, it's just, it's worth it. So thanks. Thanks again. We appreciate it, guys. Yes, we really do appreciate it. All right. Let's get out of here, John, huh? All right. Well, this has been an epic pod of We Live for Saturday. We will be back. Probably next week with the next uh, installment of our list in, uh, in our uh, series of review pod. So get excited for that. And until next time, this is Mike and for John. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks again.